one evening he had a dream about Emily. And my wife walked in his bedroom the next morning and he said, Mom, I had a dream last night. I dreamt that I was married to Emily. And she said, well, that's a good dream to have, Nathan. There's nothing wrong with that. And then he said, Mom, I'm going to tell you something that might make you a little bit sad or even a little bit angry. She said, that's okay. I'm an adult. I can take it. He said, Mom, Emily is prettier than you are. And my wife had a classic response. She said, well, you should marry somebody prettier than your mother. But at least Daddy thinks that I'm prettier. I walked in the room at that time, and they told me the story. And again, my wife said, at least Daddy thinks I'm prettier. And he said, oh, but he hasn't seen Emily yet. You see, my son believed that if I could just meet this person named Emily, that my life would change. She would change everything. I'd be somehow different. Well, there actually is someone that if you meet him, your life will be guaranteed different. And his name is Jesus Christ, and that's why we're here tonight. He can change your life and your future. Back in the year 1833, there was a man named Charles Darwin. And Charles Darwin visited a group of islands in the South Sea. And he found a group of cannibals that lived on this island. And Darwin thought that this was the most primitive group of people he had ever met in his life, that they were the lowest strata of society, that they could be never raised up to a higher level. He came back 34 years later. See, he was looking for the missing link, and he thought he found it. 34 years later, however, he found something very different. He found not cannibals, but he found people living in villages. There were homes, there were schools, there were churches, there was an organization. And he wondered, what happened? Well, I'll tell you what happened. There was a missionary by the name of John Patton, who 34 years earlier came and shared the gospel message of Jesus Christ, and it changed that whole village. Charles Darwin was so impressed that he donated a large sum of money to the London Missionary Society because of that change. Now tonight, you're going to hear some things that could have a dramatic effect in your life. They could change things around. For some of you, you've heard them before. For others, this might be the first time but if you follow the directions that Jesus Christ gives, you could leave this field, this arena, this stadium completely different, knowing your sins are forgiven, knowing that you have a relationship with God and that you're going to heaven. The story is about a conversation that Jesus has with a man in the New Testament by the name of Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a very powerful, influential kind of a person, and yet, with all that he had going in his life, even Nicodemus knew that there was some missing link. He knew that there was something more in life. He had climbed the professional ladder. He was a somebody, yet it wasn't enough. Now you might ask, well, what is a conversation? 
that Jesus has with a guy named Nicodemus have to do with me tonight in 1997? Well, a lot more than you might think. Because Jesus told him some things that absolutely revolutionized his life and has changed the lives of countless millions of people ever since. You see, Nicodemus had everything, almost. There was still something missing. Do you know people like that? They're always chasing after something. They've got everything, almost. If they only had a better job, if they only had a better house, if they only found the right husband or the right wife, or if they ever got rid of their present husband or present wife, they might think things will be better. But when you get everything you want out of life and you're still empty, then what? When the glitter fades, when the shine is no longer there, when the high wears off. See, I know people that are chasing the American dream and they find out it's only a dream. It's really not a reality. Because after getting everything they want out of life, they're missing an important ingredient. It's called hope. There's a lot of hopeless people all over the world. They believe that you really can't know the answer. You can't know anything for certain. It's been said that Man can live 40 days without food, three days without water, eight minutes without air, but only about one second without hope. Listen carefully to this conversation. And if you brought your Bibles tonight, and if you can read by these lights, I'd encourage you to follow along in John chapter 3. I'm going to read just a few verses. John chapter 3 says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from. And where it goes, so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus answered and said, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said, Are you the teacher of Israel, and you do not know these things? Now that's the conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus. What kind of a man was Nicodemus? Actually, he's not a person that's far different from many people today, or you might say he's the kind of a person that a lot of people would like to be. They'd like to be like him. First of all, it says that he was a ruler. He was a ruler. He was a man of fame and notoriety. He was well known. In fact, Jesus said, Nicodemus, you are the teacher in Israel, and you should know these things. You are the teacher. He was probably 
the most popular, well-known teacher of his day. In fact, it's thought that Nicodemus exerted a great influence over the general population. He was a public figure. Here's a guy that was supposed to have all the answers. But he comes to Jesus with a few questions, not answers. He's curious. He's wondering about this Jesus that he's heard about. There are so many people that think, if I was just popular, known, if I had notoriety and position, then I know that the void in my life would be filled up. And so you have people all over this country trying to make their way to the top, trying to get to the top of the ladder. You know what they find at the top? They're bored at the top of the ladder. Did you know that America has the highest per capita rate of boredom of anywhere on earth. People are bored. And yet we have more artificial amusements than anywhere in the world, of any country on earth. Um, an example. Notice how we watch television. It's rare to find somebody who will stay glued to one show. We, we call it channel surfing, don't we? We go from one channel to another to another. And some of us need little holsters on our belts to get the VCR and the channel changer and the other channel going. We can't stay focused. We're bored. I think of Alexander the Great. There's a guy who made it to the top, you might say. He was 31 years old, and it is said he conquered the known world. He conquered every nation known to him at the time that he lived with the Greek Empire. And yet, at 31 years of age, Alexander sat down and wept because there were no more nations in the world to conquer. He was bored. He made it to the top, but it wasn't enough. He wanted to have his name in lights, you might say, but inside it was dark. The great physicist Albert Einstein, in a letter to a friend, once wrote these words, it is strange to be known so universally and yet to be so lonely. Imagine that. Albert Einstein, a man who admitted he himself was lonely inside. We think about, well, what about the guys in Hollywood? Surely they have an edge to all this. They're so popular and they've got to be fulfilled. Well, award-winning actor Richard Dreyfus was asked this question in an interview the last couple of years. Somebody asked him, Richard, if you could have one wish, if you could have one thing in life, what would you wish for? Richard Dreyfus said, you know, every time I have a birthday, every time I blow out the candles, every time I see a shooting star, I want the same thing. I want inner peace. I want inner security. Something that even Dreyfus didn't have. I know guys in the business world, women in the business world, executives that have this same nagging feeling inside their heart. Not long ago, I met with a man who was a millionaire. Many times over, he came to my office and he admitted, I have lots of money, I can buy anything I want, and yet it's not enough. I'm very disappointed and disenchanted with my life. There was a group, a consulting group in California, Northern California. 
that studied executives. They took 4,000 executives, corporate men and women, and they found that, that in studying this group, most of them had this gnawing dissatisfaction with their life. In fact, 48% of the executives in this survey that was taken in middle management said that despite all of the striving, all of the searching, all of the hard work to achieve their professional goals, they said life seemed so empty and so meaningless. In fact, the question that almost all of them had was, why am I doing this? What is the purpose? Now, it used to be in the business world, people would say, what is the plan? Now they're saying, what is the point of having the plan? Where is it all taking me? And so here's Nicodemus. He's respected in the business community. He's a ruler. He's educated. He has all the answers. And yet he felt the need to come and see Jesus Christ and have a talk with him. Not only was he a ruler, but he was a religious person, a devout person, a very spiritual man. The Bible tells us he was a Pharisee. Now let me tell you about these guys. There were about 6,000 of them at the time of Jesus. They were a very elite group. They took an oath among witnesses that they would spend every minute of the day trying to keep the law of God. You might say, this is a guy who lived by the book. He lived by the rules. He spent his whole life trying to do what was right before God. He had a spiritual side to him. And yet, that was not enough. Though he knew so much about God, he was a person who didn't know God personally. He was really ignorant of the ways of God. I know a lot of people like that. They know facts about God, facts about the Bible, but they don't know the plan of God. There were two professors. They were college professors. They were arguing about who knew more about the Bible. And each claimed to know more than the other guy. And one said to his friend, I bet you don't even know the Lord's Prayer. His friend said, I know the Lord's Prayer. That's simple. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. The other guy raised an eyebrow and said, Wow, I didn't realize you knew that much about the Bible. Now some of you tonight go to church. You even have a Bible. But if you were to ask yourself deep in your heart, Do I know God personally? You might have to admit, I'm not sure. Or, No, I don't. I can't say that I do. There was an evening where I asked people to make a decision, a night very similar to this. And I called people forward to make a decision for Jesus Christ, which I'm going to do in just a few moments here tonight. And one man came down and he said, you know what? I need to give my life to Jesus Christ. I have been an elder in my church, a pastor in my church, most of my adult life, but I have never personally known Jesus Christ on an intimate level. In fact, that's one of the complaints that people who are not Christians have about Christians. They say there's so many hypocrites in the church. And I know people who say, I won't become a Christian because there's so many hypocrites in Christianity. I refuse. Well, let me tell you something. First of all, I want to make a, a public apology for all the hypocrites in the church. But you know what? Jesus never said, follow my people. 
He said, follow me. And though there are hypocrites in the church, nobody is perfect. The call is not to follow God's people, is not to follow Christians, but Christ himself. He's the only one that can change your life. Now, Americans are very religious people. I don't know if you know this or not. Some people think that America is getting less spiritual. No, it isn't. It's getting more spiritual. Some of it's good, some of it's bad. But right now, nine out of ten Americans say they've never doubted the existence of God. Nine out of ten Americans also say that they still pray to God and expect answers. And seven out of eight Americans say they belong to some formal group, some denomination, some Christian organization. America is becoming more spiritual. On the surface, that sounds good. On the surface, it sounds like people have a deep longing to know and experience God, and that's true. But at the same time, America is going spiritual in the wrong direction as well. Because there is such a void that people have in their lives. There is such an emptiness, a longing to know God. It seems that people will reject the truth and follow any path at all. In fact, the Hollywood Reporter talked about a new church in Portland, Oregon called the Church of Kurt Cobain. It's an actual church. It's a church, a non-denominational church, named after the rock singer Kurt Cobain, who committed suicide in 1994. The founder and the pastor, Jim Dillon, said, quote, This is a serious thing here. We're not joking. This is not a joke. He said the church is hoping to find meaning in the songs and even the death of Kurt Cobain. And then on the World Wide Web, if you like to surf the web as well as channel surf, there's a little website called the International Church of Tori Amos. The international folk rocker, Tori Amos, has an Internet site. There's a bulletin board called The Altar Room where fans share testimonies of how Tori Amos changed their life. That's their life, their existence. One fan wrote these words. You know me, you meaning Tori Amos, you know me better than I know myself, and you save me. Another said, Now I thank my Savior, my idol, and my inspiration, Tori Amos. And yet, Tori Amos recently had an interview with Spin Magazine. And she said, quote, I wanted to marry Lucifer, that is the devil, even though I had a crush on Jesus Christ at one time. And yet people would follow and worship and render praise to these folk rock singers. Why? Why so much searching? Why so much experimentation? Simply this. There's a thirst that every single man, woman, and child is born with. Everybody has it. In fact, God put that emptiness, that longing, that yearning in your heart to know God personally so that you might search after God. I was brought up in a religious home. I went to church every Sunday. In fact, even though I wasn't a Christian, I went to church every Sunday. And I thought, as long as I go to church, I'm going to be okay. I sold drugs in the choir loft of my church because I felt, hey, nobody would suspect somebody selling drugs in the choir loft, and they didn't. 
And so I went on a, on a search through the maze of different religious experiences and experimentation, more of which I'll talk about tomorrow night when we discuss the issue of death. But you know what? You can be a believer in spiritual things and not necessarily know God at all. The Bible says even the demons believe in God and tremble. And I have people all the time, they go, yeah, I believe in God. Well, that's great, but you know what? Big deal. The devil believes in God. He's not an idiot. He knows that God created him, and he's doing everything he can to keep people away from giving their lives to Jesus Christ. And so Nicodemus, well-known, educated, religious, but empty. So he goes to Jesus. Now, what did he want? Why did he come to Jesus? Well, he had some questions. The Bible says here that he came to Jesus by night. Now, why do you suppose he came to Jesus by night? Well, there's a number of reasons. Number one, it could be that he was afraid to be seen. So he came at night. After all, he was well-known. He had a reputation. It could be that he didn't want people to know that he was going to talk to Jesus. What would others think? Maybe you've come here tonight, and yet you were reluctant to tell some people where you were going. You just said, well, I'm going to the stadium. Well, what for? Oh, don't worry about it. It could be that Nicodemus was busy. The nighttime was the best time to talk to Jesus. Or, you know what? It could be that he was just curious, plain curious. What kind of a person is this Jesus? I've had people talk about him. I want to meet him for myself. And, and what kind of people would follow Jesus anyway? I heard about a man who bought a lime green shirt with purple polka dots. I don't know why he bought it, but he bought a lime green shirt with purple polka dots, and he brought it home, and inside the front pocket of that shirt was a little note that said, whoever buys this shirt, please send me your address and your photograph. And it was from a, a young lady. The man who bought it thought, oh, this is romance. I've got something cooking here. So he sent his picture and address. The girl wrote him a note back. The girl, by the way, was one of the workers, the laborers. She was a sewing machine operator in the factory that made the shirt. And she wrote back and simply said, thanks for the picture. I was just curious to see what kind of a jerk would buy this kind of a shirt. She was just curious. It could be the Nicodemus wanted to find out what kind of people follow this Jesus. And you know what? Tonight, you might be here simply out of curiosity. What kind of people would go to a baseball field when rain is pending and the weather has dropped in temperature to come and sing and hear this Jesus stuff anyway? You know what? We're glad you're here, no matter why you came. You see, Nicodemus came at night, but at least he came... And for whatever motivation, at least he came and had this conversation with Jesus Christ. Now, we notice that Nicodemus begins his conversation with what we might call an opening statement, an opener, a conversation starter, flattery. Lord, we know that you're a great teacher. You've come from God. Nobody could do these things unless God was with him. What's interesting is that Jesus... Is it moved by the flattery? 
He doesn't even say, hey, thanks, Nick. That was really cool. He cuts right to the chase. And he says, Nicodemus, unless one is born again, he will never see the kingdom of God. What does that mean? What does born again mean? That is a cliche these days. It is an American term that has been used and abused. Some people think it's a sect of Protestantism. Some people will say, well, you know, I'm a Christian, but I'm not a born-again Christian. Let me tell you something. If you're a Christian, you're born again. There's no such thing in being a Christian without being born again. Jesus said you must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. Let me put it another way. Jesus said, Nicodemus, unless you are born from above a spiritual awakening, you'll never see the kingdom of God. A spiritual change. A spiritual birth. It's not enough to be religious. You need to be born again. What kind of a change was Jesus talking about? Well, a change of mind, a change of heart, a change of lifestyle. You might say a change from the inside out. You know, that's, that's a different kind of change. A lot of people have philosophies and ideologies and are trying to change people politically from the outside in. Jesus always starts with the inside and goes out. He didn't say, quit smoking, quit drinking, clean up your act, and then believe. He says, come as you are, no matter what you've done, and I will clean you up. I'll change your life if you commit your life to me. So it's not a reformation. It's not reincarnation. It's a transformation. It's a change of heart that means a change of life. During the days when the communists ruled Russia, one evening a man stood up and addressed a crowd of people and was touting communism. He said, communism promises you, promises every man a new coat. And a Christian stood up in the crowd and says, yeah, but Jesus Christ will put a new man in every coat. He'll change the person from the inside out, not the outside in. It's not following some spiritual leader or believing in some force. It's much more than that. I heard a story of a legend that a man was wandering down the road and he got lost and he fell into a huge pile of quicksand. And as he was sinking, Confucius walked by and looked at the man sinking in the quicksand. And, and he said, you know, it's evident that people should stay out of places like this. Didn't help him, did it? And then Buddha walked by and saw the man drowning. And Buddha said, let this man's plight be a lesson to the rest of the world. Then Muhammad walked by and saw the man drowning in quicksand and said, oh, well... It's the will of God. And then Jesus walked by. And Jesus reached out his hand and said, Here, take my hand and I'll save you. That's the difference. Jesus can change a person's life. You say, why? What makes the difference? Because Jesus died for your sins. And then he rose again from the dead and he's living tonight. And the promises that he made to Nicodemus, he can make to you tonight because he's a living Savior. He rose from the dead. Now, Nicodemus has a, an important question here. He says, well, 
Lord, how can a man be born when he is old? Can a person really change? Have you ever asked that question? Is it really possible to change? You know, I bet you ask that question every January 1 or December 31st. We call them New Year's resolutions, right? I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to get on this diet. And it lasts, oh, two weeks. We make these promises and resolutions. I'm going to change myself. I'm going to be a better person. Nicodemus said, is it possible to change? How can a man be born when he is old? It could be that Nicodemus was getting up there in age. He was old. He was set in his ways. And he was wondering, could God even change me, someone who's older? You know, it doesn't matter how old you are tonight. It doesn't matter if you're young, if you're a teenager. It doesn't matter if you're in college, if you're middle-aged. It doesn't matter if you're old. God can change your life. You can't change yourself. Jesus can. So Nicodemus came and he had some questions. How can these things be? How can a man change? Now Jesus answers his question. And listen carefully. He answers his question with one of the most famous verses, if not the most famous verse in all of the Bible. And I bet all of you know it. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in Him would never perish, but would have everlasting life. That's a great promise. First of all, He said, For God so loved the world. You know, a lot of people that I meet have this idea that God is angry with them. He is like a deity with an attitude. He's ready to pounce on them. The Bible says that God loved the world. The atheist has no God. The deist says God is distant and removed. But the Bible says God is near at hand. God loves you. And God is willing to forgive your sins no matter who you are or what you have done. And besides that, God made the first move. God took the initiative. He gave His Son. He saw our condition in sin, and He gave His Son. Salvation was His idea. Now somebody once asked me, well, why does God love us so much? You know what? I don't know. I know God loves me. Why God loves me is another issue. I don't know why God loves us that much, but I'm not pressing it. I'm pretty excited that He still loves us. It's sort of like the fairy tale you remember as a kid about the prince that was turned into an ugly frog because a curse was put on him by a witch. The only way to escape the curse was to have a beautiful young maiden grab the frog and kiss that frog. And he would turn into a handsome prince again. But have you ever wondered what maiden in her right mind would stop to kiss a frog? I mean, it's a great deal for the frog. The frog would see her walking by and said, Hey, Rivet, over here, kiss me. But what would motivate a beautiful princess to stop and kiss a creature like that? Why would God, in all of His vast resources and God's wonderful character, stop to love us so much? 
I don't know, but we know that God took and did the first move. He sent His Son. Sometimes I hear people say, well, I'm searching for God. I say, why? Is God lost? No, you're not searching for God. You know what, friend? God has been searching for you for a long, long time. You know why? Because without Christ, you're lost. The Bible says, everyone, like sheep, have gone astray. They have turned their own way. And God laid upon Jesus Christ all of our sins and iniquities. So, God so loved the world that He gave His Son. He gave His one and only Son. You see, God didn't just look at the world and say, Oh, I love you. It was more than words. He demonstrated it. The Bible says God demonstrated His love in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. You know, that's amazing. I heard that for so long growing up. God loves you. Jesus died on the cross for you. And for some of you, you've heard it so long, it doesn't make an impact anymore. Would you give your baby, would you give your son, your daughter, to be killed to save somebody else? I doubt it. I read recently about how they're taking the hearts of baboons and cutting them out of the baboon and transplanting it into the heart of a child. Now, that we, we can understand that. But which of you would take your son or daughter and have a heart transplant to save a baboon? That's a whole different issue. That's a different kind of an issue. I was reading in your newspaper, the Arizona Daily Star yesterday, about two men who courageously saved a woman and her son from a fiery burning house. They broke down the door, they saved them, they pulled them out, and they risked their lives doing it. Now that was a very courageous act. But I'm sure that if the parents of those two young men would have been there, they wouldn't have said necessarily, you boys, go into that burning house and risk your lives to save who is ever in there. That's, a, that's something a parent doesn't want to do. But God sent His Son to this earth to die on the cross, to save us from an eternal fire, from an eternal judgment. You might say the Son of God became a man so that men could become sons of God. That's what Jesus did. It was God's plan. God became a man to die for us, to save us. There was a very popular song. It's still played. It came out a few years ago. Joan Osborne wrote it. The words of her song were this. What if God was one of us? Just a slob like one of us. Just a stranger on the bus trying to make his way home. Now, is that a novel concept? No. God did become one of us. Jesus did come as the God-man to this earth. He became one of us, but He wasn't a slob like one of us. Nor is He trying to find His way home. He's trying to make sure you get home. To His home. He came to show you the way to have eternal life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. And no one comes to God the Father except through Me. So Jesus answered Nicodemus' question. How can you change? By this. God loved the world that He gave His Son. And then listen to what He said. 
that whoever believes in him. Now, what does that mean, believe? A lot of people say, I believe in God. Americans say, I believe in God, I pray. But does that mean that you can just acknowledge that God exists and that's enough? Well, the word believe means to commit, to rely on, to put all of your weight, to put all of your life upon. I've had people tell me before, Jesus is just a crutch for you. You just rely on Jesus. He's your little crutch in life that you lean on. I say, no, 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 no. Let me correct you. Jesus is not a crutch. He's a stretcher. I need to lay on Him completely. All of my life, all of my weight, all of my faith. That's what it means to believe. It's one thing to acknowledge the the greatness of a parachute. It's another thing to jump out of the airplane. I know a lot of people that say, I believe in God, but they don't have a living, daily trust and commitment to Him. There's a story you may have heard about the great tightrope walker. His name was Blondin the Great. He made his living stringing up tightropes above great chasms, buildings. And one day, he stretched it over a section of the Niagara Falls. And he walked across it, and there were crowds on either side that cheered him on. And then he would take a pile of bricks and put it in a wheelbarrow, and he'd walk across, and he'd walk back, and the crowd would cheer him. And after performing several stunts, and the crowd was wild, Blondin said, How many of you believe that I could go across Niagara Falls on this tightrope and back with a human being inside? And they all cheered, We believe! And then he said, Now who will volunteer? And they were reluctant. It's one thing to say you believe, but will you put all of your weight, all of your life upon him? Nicodemus needed this. How can I change? Whoever believes in him. Then Jesus said, if you do that, you'll never perish. But you'll have everlasting life. Notice how certain Jesus was. He didn't say, well, you know, if you do this, Nicodemus, if you believe in me, I'm one of many ways I think it's possible, I hope, that you'll have eternal life. He said, you'll have it. It's guaranteed. It can be yours tonight. You can leave here totally changed, like Nicodemus. You can find the missing link to your life. You'll have everlasting life. You say, what if I don't believe? Well, I guess the reverse would be true then, wouldn't it? That you will perish and that you will not have everlasting life because as much as there is a heaven, the Bible says there is a hell. There is judgment that we face. And God made sure that Jesus took your penalty, but now the choice is up to you. Notice that Jesus said, Nicodemus, whoever believes will have everlasting life. You know that God will take anybody who asks. God isn't necessarily picky. He's not looking for a certain body type or a certain hair color or a certain personality. He doesn't look out at the crowd and say, you know, I like the way you live your life. I'm going to choose you. God will take anybody, whoever believes in him. You know, I think it's harder to get into some universities than it is to get into heaven. Universities will screen you. 
make sure that you have the right grade point average. Anybody can get into heaven if they ask Jesus to get them there. In fact, you have to want to stay out of heaven. You say, well, how do I get there? Well, you do what Jesus said. You repent of your sins and you believe in Him. Do you know what repent means? A lot of people have no idea what that word means. They picture somebody wearing dark cloth and putting ashes on their heads and looking very serious. It means to turn around. It means that in life, you take a U-turn on the road of life. You're going one direction, and you make a commitment, a decision to turn around your life, your thinking, your heart, and live for Jesus Christ to follow Him as Savior and as Lord. Now, you might have an objection and say, Skip, you don't know what I've done. You, you don't know my, my past, my background. You don't know how bad I've lived. You're right. I don't know what you've done. But I know what He's done. He came to this earth to die on a cross and be resurrected for you. The blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, can cleanse a person from all sin. You say, can it be that quick? How can a person change that quickly? Only by a new birth. And that is that act of repentance and decision to follow Christ. The Bible says as many as receive Jesus, He gives them the power to become children of God. And in just a few moments, I'm going to challenge you and invite you, ask you to be willing, if you don't know Jesus Christ, to get up wherever you're sitting. Or if you once followed the Lord, but you've walked away from Him, and you're willing to make a commitment to Him tonight, to get up from where you're sitting and make your way down on the field to receive Jesus Christ. When I was 18 years old, I had a friend who shared the gospel with me. But that was on a Sunday. On a Saturday, he was smoking dope with me. He was taking drugs in his bedroom. And then the next day, he's telling me about Jesus. What happened is Saturday night... He went to an event like this, and he gave his life to Jesus. And his life changed dramatically. He knew his sins were forgiven. He wanted to follow Jesus. And, and I couldn't understand it. How can a person change that quickly? They can't. Only God can change a person that quickly. And he's willing to do it to you tonight. I want to close with one final little illustration. There was a young 17-year-old named Johnny Newton, who was a wild, wild kid. It looked like nobody could change his life. But eventually his life changed. Let me tell you about it. When he was seven years old, his mother died. His mother believed in Jesus, taught Johnny Scripture, wanted him to become a preacher when he grew up. But Johnny wanted to be a sailor. When his mother died, he was raised by a relative. He eventually became a seaman in the British Navy. And while he was out sailing the seas for England, he decided that he was tired of the Navy, and so he went AWOL. And he ran away to Africa. And he got involved in the slave trade, where he sold human beings to be slaves on the plantations of America. Eventually, Johnny Newton became a slave himself. 
He was owned by another person. They put chains on him. They forced him to eat like an animal. Eventually he escaped, was taken aboard another ship, went from ship to ship. He was a drunken kind of a person. In fact, he made the boast that he could cuss for two hours without repeating himself. What kind of a reputation is that? Eventually he went back to England And when he was emaciated and coming out of a drunken stupor, he cried out to God and said, God, please change my life. I am ready and willing to give my life to Jesus Christ tonight. He went on to be a chaplain for the parliament in England. And he wrote a song that I bet everybody here knows. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. That's the testimony of anyone who would give their life to Jesus Christ, and the offer is yours tonight. Now, I'd like all of us for just a moment to bow our heads, to not move around at all. The cry is going to be up in just a little bit and share another song. But now is the opportunity for you. If you have not given your life to Jesus Christ, if you still have that nagging loneliness and you want to have your sins forgiven, tonight is the night to make that choice to follow Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this beautiful evening, the opportunity to gather in the stadium and to hear about life-changing truth, the Gospel of Jesus Christ, and how Jesus, who came to this earth and bore our sins and rose from the dead, is here tonight with the same promise. Yes, you can change. Your sins can be forgiven. I can give you tonight eternal life. Lord, I pray that those who have never known what it's like to be free of all of their sins, all of their guilt, all of their past, would tonight make a decision to follow Jesus Christ. And Father, we would pray for those who are gathered here maybe are religious, maybe have a spiritual side, but they're not born again. They haven't been changed from the inside out. They've never made a real life commitment to Jesus. We pray they do that now that you draw them.